What's up? Hello, uh, welcome to this week's episode edition release of Juicing the Big Screen. I am one of your critics, Josh Tracing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that makes me the other one. I'm Corwin Heller. And, uh, we're coming to you on, uh, it doesn't matter. Live from Saturday night. Wait. That makes me Dave Chappelle, which is great, because now I am famous. Um, I also got the line super fucking wrong. I said uh, live from Saturday night, not live from New York. It's Saturday night. I mean, it is also live from Saturday night. <laughs> Both of these sentences are true. Uh, anyway, we're, 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 we're talking today about um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. We're talking today about Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, Corwin, are you ready to get started? Yes. Alright, um, I actually have a preference. I prefer to start with Indiana Jones. Is that okay with you? I agree. That's what I was gonna say. Nice. Yeah, we are right. just on the same wavelength. All day. We've been, we've been good. We recorded our previous podcast just before this, Juicing the Numbers. You should check it out if you like sports and very confusing statistics. Um, anyway, <laughs> confusing in that they're very poorly presented, not in that they're very hard to understand. Uh, Corwin, this was your film. I'll let you get started. Let me read out some info for you here. Uh, 1989, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade came out. Uh, it was directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, Steven Spielberg. It was, yeah, written... was going to say, like, are you going to just let that one sit there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was written by Jeffrey Boehm for the screenplay, and then the story was by George Lucas and Menno Mejies, 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 tough to say. Um, uh, the characters are by George Lucas and Philip Kaufman. What'd you say? Corwin? Hello. Hey, you're breaking up a lot. God damn it. All right, that might have been with. Oh, wait, nope. Now you're back. Keep talking. Okay, that's fine. Okay All with right. this. All right, we're good. We're good. Uh, it stars Harrison Ford, Sean Connery, and Allison Duty, and I did not realize that was her name, and that's hilarious. Yes, I am six. Um, it had an estimated budget of $48 million um, and had a cumulative worldwide gross of $474 million. Definitely a success. Its tagline is, have the adventure of your life keeping up with the Joneses. That's awful. And, yeah. uh, wow. Wow, that is... I'm, like, taken aback by how bad that was. It was nominated for three Academy Awards. It won for Best Effects Sound Editing for Ben Burt and Richard Himes. It was nominated for Best Sound for Ben Burt, Gary Summers, Sean Murphy, and Tony Daw. It was also nominated for Best Music Original Score for John Williams. Corwin, what did you think of this movie? You know, I picked this because I wanted to, I wanted to have a a a nice send off for our guy, our boy. Um, S is away. Need to find a, a good movie to send him off that that gives you a nice summation of of who this guy is and um, everything he did. And I, I thought this would be a nice one to show off his his comedic side, his. Um, 
you know, his chemistry working with Harrison Ford and just would be a really enjoyable film to watch um, with him. And man, it it was really fun Um, just seeing these two work off each other, um, just put together a fun movie that, I mean, I forgot how badass Indiana Jones is. Like, it's been years since I've actually watched the series and and I will say, like, I, I truly forgot how much of an action hero he is. And not just, you know, Indiana Jones, guy that gets into weird situations looking for historic artifacts. Um, and and I forgot how fun this movie was. Uh, and that was really, you know, that. Like, it's it's a fun movie with some serious tones. It's It's got some really great comedic timing and reactions from both Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. Again, they play off each other so unbelievably well. Um, and and it was really nice to see this being, you know, one of the favorites from Sean Connery. Um, so I, this, this is one of those movies that for me has always fall, fallen under the category of, I have a good memory of it. I don't think I will have a good reaction to it if I watch it again. So that will be stowed away in the memory bank, um, which made this a weird watch. Um, I I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. And I hate the fact I'm saying it. Um, I, I have rewatched Raiders of the Lost Ark a few times since I was a kid. It's held up. I've never rewatched Temple of Doom for the exact same reason I've never rewatched this. I don't want to dislike. That's the thing, though. I don't. Do you rewatch Crystal Soul? I don't acknowledge that movie exists. <laughs> um, I couldn't shake how much this movie reminded me of National Treasure. I really was like, if you replaced Harrison Ford with Nicolas Cage, this is basically the first National Treasure movie. Which is fine because that movie is so much fun. And that's the thing is like I I really do enjoy a lot of this type of movie. And I'm I'm not saying I dislike it. I'm just not I'm saying I don't like it compared to how much I did when I was like you know what I mean? Like I'm I'm going to hold a marginally lower opinion of it than I did before I watched it because the last time I watched it when I was young I loved it. Um, mm-hmm. Sean Connery, I think, is still awesome in this because um, he's his character is just there to be a hilarious kind of a dick dad, and I think that is exactly how Sean Connery is meant to operate. Um, okay, but it is a ridiculous movie. It moves so bizarrely fast um, and spends zero time on anything. And not in the fun, here's a bunch of history facts kind of way that National Treasure does. It's just a whole bunch of bullshit being thrown out there for no goddamn reason. Why are there so many rats? It didn't even matter. There were so many. You know they bred all those rats for the movie? They bred 2,000 rats just to get in duty's hair. One of those movie facts that you have that like, I really would love if you just like stop telling that to people and if you never told me that would have made me uh, a happier person overall 
they bred they bred two thousand rats for the movie. But why? Actually, it's because if they just got two thousand rats, they'd be riddled with disease, and so they had to specifically breed two thousand rats so that they wouldn't. Um, when okay. they inevitably bit the cast, the cast wouldn't be infected. You know what? I get that. I don't agree with it, but I get it. Yeah, and I there's like there's parts of this movie I absolutely love, and that. For me, if the whole movie was spent in that like in that like night Templar in the mountain thing with the challenges, if that was literally like one hundred and twenty out of the one hundred and thirty minutes this movie should have been, I'd have been thrilled. I live for that goofy shit. Um because like, you know, with, with 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 the riddles and the and the Jesus and the leap of faith, but it's really just painted stones and shit. That's the kind of stupid, fun adventure bullshit I can get behind. There's too many Nazis, man. There didn't need to be this many Nazis. Why were there so many Nazis? Half this movie was Nazis and rats. That is a statement that does not just hold true for this movie, but for (laughs) all all of history and life. Any Nazi is too many Nazis, but... If that's really what you're gonna, you know, hold against it, fucking whatever. It's it, not meant to be fucking Citizen Kane. It's a fucking Indian. No, I, I, I get it. It's it's just like in in a movie where they are just where it it's just a man searching for his cup. <laughs> the bad guy did not need to be Nazis. We got that already in Raiders of the Lost Ark. That that is behind. Make it the Russians. They're always bad. They're always up to no good. What are they hiding? Um. Yeah. I I also like the X marks the spot scene made me groan. Now I was watching it with Kel and she looked over at me and she was like, "Why did he go up the stairs to do that?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I guess it's more dramatic." They very much so could have seen the X from the ground. Yeah, in gosh. the library. Cranky woman. I I can't be. I am now a cranky man. I'm not going to say old. I'm 26. Mm, you're old at heart. <laughs> I'm 36. I'm not old. Ancient. Can't call you man. You could call me Dennis. I didn't know you were called Dennis. Oh, you didn't bother to find out, now did you? <laughs> I've watch that next week. Uh, it's don't actually movie. comment on the movie all, at all. Just we talk about how fucking funny it is. Let's just quote it and let people come to their own conclusions. <laughs> I'm fine with this. Um, I don't even really have notes for this. If we're being, I have two notes. Um, the first note is, uh, this has a very early 1930s camp vibe in the beginning because it's got a very like Buster Keaton. Uh, in terms of like the running on the train combined with, you know, like that Charlie Chaplin slapstick kind of nature of things. Um, a lot of the effects are like basically pulled straight out of the 1940s. Um, you know, with like the plane with the dot as they're, as they're traveling, all that type of shit. Uh, the effects aged very poorly in terms of the green screen, but that's, that's to be expected in a movie from the eighties. Yeah, that's um, not ideal. 
And it just is what it is. Uh, and the only the only other note I have is a quote, which is right from the beginning. Because after I wrote this quote down, I realized I'm not taking notes for this movie. Um, and that was um, Indiana Jones's famous line: "It belongs in a museum." And then the bad guy said, "So do you." And I didn't understand what that means. Uh, I'm gonna be honest. I remember that line. I know exactly what you're talking about. I also don't really know what that means. Because it doesn't mean you should go die, because they don't put dead people in museums, unless you're Egyptian. Um, They put dead people in morgues, um, mausoleums, not museums. So that means that either this bad guy heard museums as mausoleums, (laughs) which wouldn't make... Which wouldn't make the first part of the sentence make any sense, because they're talking about a medallion. And med- there's no reason Indiana Jones would say that that medallion belongs in a mausoleum. Or the uh, the, the bad guy had a really embarrassing moment that he's going to think about in the shower later. Which I think is actually the funniest part. Like, the funniest part of the movie. Yeah, he's just, just like, lucky no one else was around like, to hear it. I don't even remember if he dies or not, but like, like him just in the shower that, that next day was just like, I can't believe I fucking said that. Are you kidding me? I said that? I really uh, am glad my friends weren't around to hear this. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Nazis have friends. I, I don't... It depends on if you count other Nazis as friends. Um, which I guess, if you're a Nazi, it's like all being part of the same Boy Scout troop. So, yes. Um, um, as a former Boy Scout, I don't love that connection, but I'm not really all right fine it's all part of it's i guess it's be it's like being part of the same young republicans club so no see that i'll just straight up agree with <laughs> yeah i don't see any difference here um anywho you know what ooh, you know what we can talk about um bothered... for like two hours well yeah we should um let's watch the movies and get back to you all but I uh, would want to talk about how ridiculously stupid the female character is in this movie, and not even in anything that she did in particular, because she did all of the basic things you would kind of expect from um, a, a, a Dick Tracy 007 type character with a Midwestern name. Um, but the fact that Indiana Jones like refused to just like kill this Nazi bitch because she was too hot? Right? Yeah, that, that bothered me a lot. At no point did really she show any value to Indy other than man, I'm gonna fuck the shit out of her. <laughs> Even after finding out she fucked his dad. Yes! That's not a deal breaker. And might I add that she is a Nazi. <laughs> if you are clapping Nazi cheeks, you're still... <laughs> Even if they're really good cheeks, they still Nazi cheeks. Like, like man, you are you are a world renowned archaeologist. There must be other cheeks. Uh, does that make him a sympathizer? That's what I'm saying. It's it's kind of a rough look that you could just be like, yeah, I I, I know. I mean, like, I know she's a Nazi. Like, like I know she's a Nazi. But dude, like. I just got a thing for blondes, man. Or was she a redhead? Doesn't matter. Like, 
You know, I'm just a sucker for like a really pronounced jaw or really high cheekbone. Like, I, I know she was part of the party that like tried to kill all the Jews, but like, she's just in really good shape, you know? That's Indiana Jones in this movie. I And couple on to that, like, I know she fucked my dad, but like, Toppy's awesome. I'm still trying to chew on that one for a sec. Um, yeah. That's not a great look for Indy. Like, he's this big superhero of this franchise. Not superhero, but like, star of the franchise. He's the hero. Eh, in the first one, he survives a nuclear blast. He is basically a superhero. That's, that's a bad look. Especially, uh, might I add, what did she gain from fucking his dad? She got to have sex? Well, that's what we all gain from the bare minimum of intercourse. But, like, what... Because, you know, you want... You, you gotta assume, if this follows the standard 007 kind of bullshit, that, like, the enemy woman is going to try to fuck the guy to get him to trust her, and then she's going to betray him, but then she's going to fall in love with him because he was a really cool dude. Um, But they didn't need... Indy's dad for like any like they didn't need to win his trust at all like he was just I mean they they captured it but he was really just like doing his own thing for the most part right like yeah I can't imagine she needed to fuck him for like plot purposes unless she really just wanted to jump those Scottish bones if we're being honest I got nothing there yeah I just I don't. I don't have an answer for you. I think that's just bad. Yeah, that's just bad. I mean, like, how would you react if if you brought um uh if you brought a girl home and your dad was like, "Man, I fucked this bitch like a few months ago. She's crazy. You gotta get away from her." Would you just be like, "Oh, dad, stop it. <laughs> She's really nice. I'm gonna keep having I sex with like her. It. Think about you." No, I'd be like, Dad, stop talking about mom like that. Like, fuck, dude. Deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> but for real, like, it. I, I know it's easy to look back at something that was made 30 years ago and talk about how problematic it was, but, like, that was problematic as shit. Like, Indiana Jones straight up. And, like, this bitch basically killed herself, you know? Um, and, yeah, that was just straight up fucking stupidity. Which, which that's what I'm saying. It's not even stupidity. It just showed how little she gave a fuck about Indiana Jones. Because he is like, woman, I will literally mm. save your Nazi ass life if you just give me your other hand. And she was like, yeah, but <laughs> I really want that cup. And like, then she died. I don't think that's her talking like, oh, like she doesn't give a shit about Indiana Jones. That's just like her, like, no, I'm going to die to be immortal, but dying in the process, so I'll never be like it. It Granted, like the whole thing is like her being blinded by the cop, sure, but like in, in the dumbed down version of us talking about this movie, it's just like, bitch, you fucking dumb. Yeah, she was, she was somehow. No, no, she, I was going to say she was somehow clever and she was at the same time, but no, she at no point was clever. Because she fucked this dude's dad and then thought that she could still fuck this dude 
to seduce him into doing what she wanted him to do with zero repercussions, which with a normal father-son duo <laughs> wouldn't work. Huh? I said, you know what? Like, you finish your thought. I'll, I'll go into my shit after. Because normally, normally, what you would think is that if someone's dad came up to you and said, hey, I just had sex with that woman like a month ago. She's nuts. Did you know she was a Nazi? You shouldn't fuck her. You would take in the information, understand that that woman fucked your dad and hates the Jews. And you would go, huh, I should not fuck her. And that makes that a bad plan on the part of the woman. Like, because she's found out. You can't be covert if you just fucked that dude's dad. And she did it anyway. So she's an idiot. Like, it's not even a good plan. That being a hot Nazi babe in Nazi Germany probably gave you a lot of leeway with what you can get away with. Especially, like, being the rank and, you know, prestigious title that she had. I'll say she probably got some, like, dirty fucking shit done in that Nazi party. Just like, yo, you, your dad, your fucking cousin Vinny. And that dude over there, let's go get in the back of my fucking van. We're going to a hotel room. <laughs> like, she could just get away with whatever. You know, I think the real moral of this film is um, don't, don't, don't be, <laughs> don't trust hot women. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fair. Because literally. Don't be if, Eskimo bros with your dad. Don't, don't be Eskimo bros with your dad. Don't oh, trust God. hot women. Um, because, because, don't trust them. Because, like, Literally, Indiana Jones was thinking with his dick for so much of this movie that it literally led to his father getting shot, and the only way he could do anything about it was finding the actual Holy Grail. And and the only reason it, that, that this movie didn't lead to further consequences is because the woman that he let do this to him killed herself. That is this movie. Like, I just imagine, like, him working with, like, a fucking uh, biography writer, like, ten years down the road when he's, like, trying to put out his memoirs and, like, he's trying to piece this all together to put this story together and he's like, wait, what? And then just, like, explaining it all to Indy and just, like, the breakthrough of, like, dude, you are a fucking psychopath. What the fuck's wrong with you? It, I, I, it belongs in the museum. It belongs in the museum. Yeah. 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 I, At the end of the day, as much fun as I've had giving this movie a bunch of shit, super enjoyable. <laughs> you gotta admit, though, this is basically, this is basically a Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah, but, like, it's good. Like, the worst Indian... No, because Crystal Skull exists. The worst of the original three Indiana Jones movie is still way better than the best Nicolas Cage movie. Okay, because now I'm curious. What movie do you like more? Um, uh, Last Crusade or uh, Temple of Doom? Uh, Last Crusade is probably my favorite of the three. What? Yeah. Sir. It's got Sean Connery in it. That's the whole thing. It's Sean Yo, Connery. 
I'm sorry. Also, just the fact that she fucked a dude who who wears a bucket hat for the entire movie is hilarious. Like well, Sean Connery is peeking out from underneath a bucket hat That's way the before part, they were. Though, it's the fact that it is a bucket cap. This is oh my god! It is so disappointing. Oh man! What what would you say is the best Nicolas Cage movie? Um, adaptation. Okay. Not where I would have gone, but sure. Why? What? What would you have said? Um, like National Treasure, or like the fucking Rock, or some shit like that. It was you're picking the 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 transitional Nicolas Cage movies, where he went from being an actually respected actor who like won an Oscar uh, to being a lunatic who makes garbage movies. Um, right, but again, that's what I grew up on. And, and, and that's just, like, I don't look at Nick Cage. Like, Nick Cage is not one of those characters where it's like, wow, like, I totally forgot that was Nicolas Cage. Like, no, you always know it's Nick Cage. And, like, I... adaptation, it's still Nick Cage, and the rest of his filmography is kind of, like, ruined the the smoke and mirrors of it. So, like, when you watch a Nick Cage movie that he's starring in, you gotta watch one of the ones where you know what's coming. Like, you you are getting a Nicolas Cage movie. I don't Not know. Have... Weird Venn diagram mix of, like, adaptation where it's like, oh, this, this is actually a good movie. And I would really like it if it was anyone else other than Nick Cage. Have you ever seen Adaptation? No. All right. That makes sense. Let's <laughs> see how far I can get with that before you notice that. Like, I have no idea what's going on in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was really hoping you were going to get that. You know, you know what? Um, oh, no, I, I, I got it. I just wasn't sure. <laughs> just, want, just, just wanted to make sure. Um. Oh my god. I just read that Steven Spielberg, to make this movie, dropped out of making the movie Big with Tom Hanks and Rain Man. I'm fine with both of those. This, oh dude, come on. Career-wise, that's a poor choice. Oh, terrible for him. Well, no, because it's fucking Indiana Jones. This made him way more money than fucking Rain Man or... I already forget the first one you said. Wow. Um, Steve, like, listen, Steven Spielberg of all people, w- like, with the amount of amazing movies that he's made, do you think he'd rather have made Rain Man or the Indiana Jones franchise? Probably the Indiana Jones franchise, just because it's a very it's a very Hollywood series, you know, because it, it draws upon so many tropes of like older older Hollywood that this probably had a lot of sentimental value to him because. it's a lot of tropes in here that he probably grew up on. So, yeah, it, probably this. But as someone who thinks very highly of Steven Spielberg, I'd rather him have made the other ones. I wish that he made Saving Private Ryan with Nicolas Cage. Uh, I wish he made Saving Ryan's Privates. I think there's still a chance we can get that aid. We can only hope. We can only hope. Um... Oh, I had another thought about this, and I forget what it was. Uh, God damn it! I, yeah, I can't. I can't think of it. Uh, but 
Well, I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> so, um, do you? Um, let's see. What notes do I have? Not many. Oh, yeah. The fact that Admiral Veers is, like, the first main character in this that, like, Indiana deals with. Um, it's just, like, come on. It's, it's, he's the baddie. Yep. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. Uh, Sean Connery's just super awesome. Sean Connery's super awesome. And then the only other specific was the smirk on Connery's face when Indiana Jones grabs that like flagpole and is like, this motherfucker is driving this goddamn motorcycle. He's gonna joust this Nazi motherfucker shooting at him? My son! Alright, let's go. That was that was a highlight for me. I, I, I enjoyed that. Also, the fact that it ended with the flagpole pin being broken and not the Nazi being impaled. You can't have too much gore in a kid's movie. Yeah, yeah, in a movie where there's where there's where there's father son Eskimo brothers happening, you don't want to uh, intimate too much too much violence. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Any other notes? Nope, that's it. All right, then why don't you give me a final rating and review, and we'll dip on out to the next movie. Um, yeah, this isn't exactly the most. Coyote blessed and well thought out, well written film that we are to review. But it's definitely going to be up there with the most enjoyable uh, films, at least you know, my mind. Josh can't get over those facts, and that's his problem. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, this is just a great film of the, the relationship between Sean Connery's. Uh, Indiana Jones Sr. and Indiana Jones Jr. with Harrison Ford, and I just think the the connection the two have, the chemistry they have on screen, is the whole point of watching this. And maybe I, you know, I I enjoyed it and looked over the negatives a little bit just because this was a remembrance for Sean Connery, and I'm not dead inside like some hosts on this podcast. Um, but at the end of the day, I just think it's an enjoyable fucking film. But I'll give it a. I'll give it a Three. I'll give it a three. Oh, all right. Um, look, man, this 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 is a two out of five. Um, this is a movie oh you watch when you've watched the two that come before, and you go, "Well, the third one's on Netflix, and I've got to spare two and a half hours. Might as well do it." This is a movie I think I've seen more on AMC than I have anywhere else, and that feels like exactly how you should consume this between commercial breaks. Um, it's 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 light-hearted for a movie with this many Nazis and rats. <laughs> um, same thing, really. But um, it's <laughs> it it is it is a weird weird journey to get there. Um, National Treasure actually makes more sense than this, uh, and that is saying something. But it's fun. 
Um, Harrison Ford is not delivering his best performance, but Sean Connery is doing great. So there's definitely that to look. The whole movie, I'm sitting here waiting for Sean Connery because he's literally he carries the goddamn movie, even though he's only in it for like a combined 20 minutes. Well, but, yeah, like that's the whole point of watching the movie. No, I know, I know, I I understand why you picked it. I'm not thrilled, but I understand it. Um, so this I'm is saying like why we watched it this week. I'm saying that's the whole point of why you watched it in the first place. Oh, oh, oh very understandable as well. But yeah, that's it. Um, so shall we shall we jump on over to our next feature of the day? Yeah, you know, one that we're probably going to agree with. Yeah, one would think. Uh, that agree brings on, us not with. We're not agreeing. Uh, with. I, I, I know what you meant. Uh, that brings us to 1975's Dog Day Afternoon, directed by Sidney Lumet. Written by Frank Pearson, who did the screenplay based upon an article by P.F. Kludge. What a name! Um, and an uncredited writing credit for Leslie Walker Waller, who wrote the book. Um, it stars Al Pacino, John Cazale, and Penelope Allen. This film had an estimated budget of $1.8 million and a cumulative worldwide gross of Fifty million dollars, very much so, a success. It had a its tagline was, "Oh, that's too long. There's no way that's a real tagline." This yeah, movie yeah. was this movie was not dreamed up by a screenplay writer. It could not, it couldn't have, not with all the bizarre things that actually happened that day in, in a real bank with real hostages and with Sonny Wartzik, the most unreal person who ever wanted to rob a bank. No, that's a full-on description, but I still want to see movie poster with it on there. Uh, oh, this is a great tagline it has here. Um, in the middle of a robbery, pizza for everyone. That's the best one, yeah. That and might be the tops of the list. Yeah, it's really good. Pizza for everyone, baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> pizza for the people, buddy. Uh, it was nominated for... Uh, Six Oscars. <laughs> We're all here for Josh counting on the fly. Uh, it was nominated. It won for Best Writing Original Screenplay for Frank Pearson. It was nominated for Best Picture for Martin Bregman and Martin Elfand. It was nominated for Best Alex Actor. Bergman. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it was nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role for Al Pacino. Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Chris Sarandon. Best Director for Sidney Lumet. And Best Film Editing for D.D. Allen. Uh, this was my film, so I guess I'll go first. Um, oh, God, it's such a good movie, man. It's such a good movie, man. Um, it It is an interesting movie from from, from Jump. Um, it's got all the intrigue of, like, because, you know, there's a very chaotic nature about it right from the outset, which makes sense. This is a movie about a bank robbery, and it, that gets directly into the bank robbery part of it. It does not beat around the bush with it, which is exactly what you would want out of this movie because there's no real reason for it to deviate. So you would think, because the movie is not about the people, it is about the bank robbery. However, as you move throughout this film, you learn a lot more about why the bank robbery is taking place and what is interesting about that, and boy, is it fucking interesting. This movie goes down a fucking ride, man. Um, That is... oh, Every twist of which adds a different layer to the story which is so captivating. Um, we'll obviously be getting more into the details. I'm not going to say spoiler alert. This movie is from 45 years ago. If you have not watched it yet, that is on you. Um, but goddamn, this is 
so well done. And it manages to keep this this frenetic energy the entire way through without it becoming exhausting or too stressful, uh, which I think is a really delicate um, line to, to, to balance on. Um, so well acted, so well put together, so well shot. Love it. Um, Corwin, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much uh, this movie uh, surmised. Not even surmised, but, you know, instant reaction to the film. Um, you know, this was the second time I watched this. Uh, the first time I really enjoyed it. The second time watching it was uh, spectacular. You know, really, really loved it even more than I did the first time because, you know, you're not distracted by the chaos. You're not distracted by all the twists and turns. You, you know what's coming, and it allows you to kind of appreciate the subtleties of it. Um, and, boy, this is just, like, textbook definition of well-made, well-created, just super focused, super well-done, just, like, in the nitty-gritty, Everything is perfected, and it's just such a tremendous piece of cinema once it's all put together. Um, and uh, man, like this is definitely one of my favorite Al Pacino roles. And for a guy with you know such a broad spectrum of you know filmography like him, uh, it's definitely saying something. Yeah, I, I you know what's funny. I, l- l- let's start there. Um, uh, before you you start, I will say that this is definitely top five for John Cazale as well. Uh, ha, 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 ha. Uh, for anyone who is out of the loop, John Cazale has only made five films, all five of which either won Best Picture or were nominated for Best Picture. So John Cazale, with his very short career because of his very short life, <laughs> uh, only made five films, all five of which were excellent. Um, so for Al Pacino, this is such a good role for him because. It's a very, like, when you picture Al Pacino, you picture this kind of guy. You picture a very, like, New York, Brooklyn, Italian, angry, um, energetic, chaotic Mm -hmm. dude. And that's this character. The problem is, as Al Pacino went later on in in his career, he ended up becoming a caricature of this guy that just really didn't play well. And not even, really even, like, that, like, like, he... He ended up just being, no, I guess character caricature is the the best word for it. It just it just wasn't. It, it, you look at it and go, oh, this is a lot. This is a lot of acting, and it doesn't sit well. This this plays super well. Um, like seeing Al Pacino be stereotype Al Pacino fits this movie like a goddamn puzzle piece. I mean, it's it's perfect. Um. And he, he, he plays off the real-time nature of the film so well without it being too much. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he plays down a lot of the wilder turns so well so that you're really just sitting in the moment. Like, you're really... The way this movie treats homosexuality in 1975 is honestly, like, wild. That would be a positive takeaway, absolutely. Yeah, like, 
I don't know. We're, we're skipping around plot wise a little bit, but we're talking about characters for right now. Um, you know, it, 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 at, at one point in the movie, Al Pacino is on the phone with uh, the police and says to the officer, you know, bring, bring me my wife. I want to talk to my wife. And, you know, it shows this heavy set Italian Brooklyn woman talking to the police about how Al Pacino has been acting crazy, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then, you know, like 20 minutes later, uh, they, they, they bring a, a man down to to the um hostage scene and it turns out that this man is is al pacino's wife like al pacino is married to a woman and has two kids and it also had a wedding ceremony with a man in 1972 uh or earlier because this this movie is about events that took place in 1972 um and referred to him as his wife which already feels pretty progressive for the time and the cops like you, you got, you got, you had one cop that that like you know dropped an f bomb in re- in regards to the to the gay community, which you know that yeah that was expected to be there. But outside of that, they were just like, all right, yeah, this is this dude's wife. Like, you wanted to talk to him? Like, can you can you get him out of there? Like, you know, can we get you anything? Get him some water. He needs some water. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this guy talked about how like he went to his psychiatrist, and my psychiatrist told me I was really a woman in a man's body, and. Again, you got like I think one chuckling cop in the back there, but everyone else was just kind of like, "All right, what's next?" Like it was very like straight up. I mean, it was genuinely surprising. This uh, it's gonna feel weird to say, you know, use this word, but it felt mature. It, it no, wasn't it did focusing on the fact that he was gay as you know a focal point. It was oh, this guy's gay. That doesn't change him as a character or as a person in any way. It's just like oh. Now you see how much struggle he has to go through throughout his daily life and what led him to this point. It doesn't really focus ever on the gay aspect other than, man, being gay in 1972 is fucking hard, especially when it comes with being married to a uh, a, a trans woman. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it also talks very well about socioeconomic issues um you know there there's a scene where al pacino uh gets on the phone with um a, a tv reporter and and you know the reporter is like well why don't why did you rob a bank why don't you get a job and al pacino's like where what what jobs and he goes uh you could be uh i forget what they said and he's like there's no jobs unless you're in a union and he's like and how do you get into a union if you, if you don't can't get a job and the reporter was like, well, why don't you get a job that's non-union? He goes, what, non-union? Like, what? A bank teller? And they don't make any money. I got two kids. I got a wife. How am I supposed to live? Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like, yeah. Yeah. And this was made at a, at, a, at a point in time where, as compared to today, as compared to today, union membership was way higher. Oh, yeah. Um, Unions were an actual part of society back in the day. I mean, granted, they are still there now, by all means. But that's such a smaller minority part of the population that are even affected by unions. I mean, back then it was the majority. Yeah, I literally know one person in the union. I know one person in the union. What does your person do? Uh, it's a crane operator. Oh, uh, my my uh, is a uh, grocery store manager. Oh, I didn't know uh, grocery store managers had a union. Yeah, yeah, and every shop right has a union apparently. I should know that. I work pride predominantly with shop right. Yeah, union. Ooh, fuck me. Um, right. 
Anyway. Yeah, seriously. What a terrible employee. Um, hey, my boss is listening. He's not wrong. <laughs> um, you know, this, this, and, you know, it talked about police violence and whatnot. Um, there's shouts of Attica. Um, Corwin, are you familiar with Attica? Uh, the Attica prison riots, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The the the, the basic overview there for anyone unaware. Um, this was very of the time, which is part of why it's not explained. In addition to the fact that it would be very weird if they did explain it, just like plot wise, there would be no reason for that. Um, but uh, Attica prison riots at the Attica prison. Um, prisoners took hostages and demanded better treatment. This was like really like the beginning of the prisoners' rights movement. Um, and the prison guards killed 43 people, including 10 fellow prison guards. Um, which is why um, Al Pacino is shouting that, because the basic takeaway here is that you know these people in this position of authority that have firearms don't give a fuck who they're killing as long as they're killing somebody. Um, and Al Pacino's view in the film is that I'm just another person to kill. You know, that's why he like points at one cop and he's like, you want to kill me, I can see it in your eyes, some shit mm -hmm. like that. Um, which also touches on the relationship between your everyday citizen and the NYPD at this point in time, which has always been a contentious relationship, but especially so in the 70s, and especially so in the gay community. So, uh, not to be underscored at all, or uh, um, under under discussed at all. The, uh, I mean, th we're we're talking. This is just a, a a handful of years before the Stonewall um the Stonewall riots. Like, um, it's like right there. So this is this is this is a very of the time movie, which I think was definitely lost on me when I watched this and I want to say high school um, because you, you aren't aware of the history that coincides with, you know, uh, this film and the context that's needed for that. Uh, and it just, it adds so much to the, to the struggle that they show Sonny going through and the reasons why so many people support him immediately. It's not just because he's a bank robber and, you know, Americans, you know, um, celebrate bank robbers and, you know, that whole anti-government shtick. It's like, no, like, he is arguing what they all wish they had a voice to be able to go out and argue and all that. And um, he's supporting the working man. Yeah, I mean, this is a very populist film. Like, this is a guy that clearly... I mean, this is this is a military veteran that is made very um, apparent early on, and then this gets mentioned later on. Um, who who has a wife and kids, and he's having a devil of a time supporting. That is also trying to do an altruistic thing, even though it's wrong, um, to support um, his his other wife, and just can't obtain the actual means to do so because the labor conditions are at that time were, were, were difficult. They are still today and how impossible it is to be a, a human being in, in society with no money. And this is 1970s New York, which is incomparable 
in price to today's New York. Like Brooklyn at that point in time was not a fancy, nice place to live. That was the fucking hood. I mean, like Al Pacino's character is not living the life as you see in his apartment, which was all of like 400 square feet, you know, like that, that's how little money the guy had. Um, so it's really um, just a fascinating fucking movie. And you couple that in with how the information is, is slowly dripped out to you as the viewer. You know, again, this movie starts off with three dudes walking into a bank, going to rob it. Very clear from, from, from the word go. And ends up actually looking like it's going to go well. Except they got the info wrong. The van that came by this morning wasn't dropping money off. It was taking money out. And uh, Al Pacino thought he was doing something smart by burning the ledger. So there was no evidence of that. But ended up fucking him up because the cops got called because of smoke. And all of a sudden now he's left to doing one thing, hostage crisis. And then, boom, just going from there, having to navigate a hostage crisis, which he does so well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, seriously, like, if this wasn't a, a true story, which, again, this is a true story and fairly accurate, too, seeing, especially seeing as the events only occurred, like, three years before this movie got made. Um, like, this, the guy this movie's about died, like, 15 years ago. Like, this is a very, you know, recent movie, uh, or, or very, like, of-the-time film. Um, I fucking completely lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, if I if I didn't know this was based on a true story, I would be complaining about how Al Pacino's character handled the hostage situation too well. Um, yeah, he always seemed to know when he was getting fucked over. That always seemed to be, you know, granted in the end. He kind of missed some pretty blatant. It's weird because there were times when he clearly was able to think through it and catch things, and there were other times where it's like, "Man, it's right there in front of you. Just, just fucking realize it, and it's just missed." Um, but yeah, the hostage situation was definitely one that he was able to to wrap his head around and understand and, and make good work of. Yeah, I, I mean, like. It feels like this is exactly how you would expect the movie to go because I feel like anytime I watch a hostage um, situation movie or an episode of a show that has a hostage situation, it's always like, hey, go get me some pizza. Hey, you can't come in here. Oh, they're trying to come in the back. Get me a helicopter. I'm going to the Caribbean or whatever. Um, and you'd have to logically assume it's all coming from this movie because these were real events. Mm hmm. And I can't think of a real big police standoff hostage situation film that predates this. Police hostage. I feel like that's very specific. So no. Or yes, I would agree with you. Also, incidentally, uh, this incident um, is like literally used for police training on how to deal with hostage situations. Really? Yeah, th this ended up becoming, like, a very big case. Because, you know, I'd say as well as Pacino did, the police also did very well. Yeah, no, I mean, no hostages were killed. Their environment that they were provided, the hostages, 
um, was uncomfortable to a degree, um, but not unbearable, which I think is what you would want to try to incentivize the hostage takers to leave and give up. Um, mm-hmm. They met all of the reasonable demands as readily as they could while also taking their time with it a little bit to, again, make it uncomfortable but not um, unbearable. And only had one casualty, which was one of the hostage takers, and that was, and managed to arrest the other one. And it's not like it was an accidental death that they were trying to avoid. Like, that was all part of the plan. Which kind of seems like that's really the only issue I have with the movie, which, again, it's a true story, so it's not really up for me to, to argue for the movie's sake. It's just, why would that be the plan? Why wouldn't you, like, so John Cazale's character, his gun's pointed up. They ensure that, you know, they're making sure that when the green light's lit, they know he's, you know, not, he doesn't have a gun drawn on them. Why would the driver, the cop who is driving the van, not turn and arrest him at gunpoint while the cop standing in the doorway does exactly what he does, which is prevent Al Pacino from bringing his rifle around and then drawing his own weapon to hold him and arrest him at gunpoint. I like granted you're at a point where John Cazell's character Sal can, you know, freak out and fire the weapon, do that, do this. And it's not perfect, but there was no attempt to arrest both robbers. If I had to guess, it would it, my guess would just be like logistics. Um, because Robert De Niro was sitting next to the driver, so it's pretty easy for him to prevent De Niro, uh, De Niro Pacino from drawing his firearm. Um, but there's nothing preventing Kazal from still shooting. I guess. So why take the risk? At the same yeah, time, I, I I do get that. Go ahead. At, I was just saying, at the same time, this is the NYPD in the 70s. Touché. I'm sure they didn't care. Yeah, uh, as much as I want to say, like, their goal should be to keep everyone alive. At the end of the day, it's like, all right, are we really going to risk this getting, you know, this popping off to save one guy's life who's held people at gunpoint all day? Is an armed robber, armed kidnapper, like, come, I'm, I, I'm sure, you know, I definitely agree with you that it's just kind of like, I don't think it was shit. Yeah, if anything, it it's almost more impressive they kept one guy alive. Yeah, um, fair enough. <laughs> which, you know. Oh, what a great movie. Yeah. Um. I have written down here about um, uh, racism as well. There's there's a little bit of it. You, I mean, it's the seventies. Uh, mm. The the 
casual racism of um, talking about the Spanish. You know how the Spanish are. Um, yeah, you, you take their women, they get super hot. Uh, you know, you got his girlfriend in there. You know the Spanish. And it's like, uh, uh, <laughs> I think if you kidnapped anyone's girlfriend, <laughs> they'd be upset. Yeah. <laughs> um, definitely doesn't mean anything. Um, but there's also, I don't know, I, 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 like, that's also kind of it. Outside of, uh, no, the other, oh, the other moment I wanted to mention was them arresting the uh, security guard right. while he was um, dying. Um, because, again, this was the NYPD here in the 1970s. And they didn't uh, care. I don't need to emphasize the 1970s. It's just the NYPD. Yeah, that's, uh, that is very true. Um, and that's a wild moment because. They are offering a hostage. He is dressed as a security guard. And he is mm -hmm. clearly struggling to, like, breathe and walk and everything. And and the other hostages, the women, are yelling, he is a hostage, please don't hurt him. And it took Moretti literally running over to the other cops and ripping them off of him for the cops to stop, like, actually forcefully arresting him to only then peacefully arrest him and still put him in a cop car. What can you say? Those black guys, man, they are just inherently violent and dangerous to society. They need to be dealt with. So, it's it's such an interesting movie in in how like the social aspect of it works, which again, I'm I'm this is all tr a true story. I'm not saying there's anything um that's trying to be told here outside of the reality of it so it's i guess it's more of a, a snapshot than it really is like um a, you know uh uh what do you go parable of any kind um sure but it, it is really interesting to see because like it you know what uh, this might be a stretch but i'm going to ask you anyway do you think the cops would have shown the same deference towards Leon, uh, the 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 wife, if he was black, given no. how they treated the black uh, dying security officer? I was curious where you were going with that because there there was definitely a, a handful of directions, but there's no way he would have gotten the same kind of respect and you know well natured. Um. Uh, what am I thinking of? Uh, basically, like they no, there's no way they would have handled that situation the same way if Leon was black. Yeah, right. Um, because think about the two situations. Leon is telling the or oh, let's start with the the um security guard. They were just promised a hostage. A man they have not seen exited the building. He is clearly struggling medically. He is older. Um, he's dressed like a security guard. He is immediately arrested while the other hostages are shouting, he is a hostage. He is a hostage. The police ignore that um, and instead arrest him. Meanwhile, a white man comes into the barbershop and tells them 
that he is a man, a woman trapped in a man's body, which is a very real thing, but it's also a wilder concept at the time than being a black security guard. And they are just on board with, with what's happening. Well, I mean, to play devil's advocate, you know, one man is coming out of a building where armed robbers have started holding hostages and it's a stressful situation. The other is escorted into a barbershop by police saying, oh, this is the wife of one of the hostage takers. So the immediate reaction, like the stress-induced reaction, I get. And the differences between the two, I get. But that's not me arguing, oh, if Leon was escorted in and was a black transgender woman, again, I, I don't know if it's a different terminology for your stop. Like, I, I'm not trying to have that kind of argument. It's just, you yeah, know, I understand. Um, if Leon goes in as a black man, black woman, there's no way he gets dealt with the same way. But I think if anyone walked, any man walked out of the, um, the bank like that, they would have been arrested in similar vein. But I would say Hank being, uh, is that his name? Or am I just thinking that because the office I was watching earlier, the security guard's name is Hank. Uh, there's like one black guy, Howard. Howard. Okay. At least I got the one letter, right? So I'm not terribly racist. Um, but it definitely didn't help the situation. <laughs> um, it it's tough because strategically speaking, why would you arrest him? Because if there if if I you know, I'm a police officer. I see cool. one man mm-hmm. e- exit the um the fucking uh bank. Yeah, Al Pacino is also standing outside of the bank at this point, so we know that at. at there are only two okay. guys. They're both outside. If they're going to bum rush, you'd yeah. bum rush both, right? And they didn't. You know, I can't picture that scene shot for shot, so I'll take your word for it. But yeah, that's that's pretty fucking bad right there. That's that's pretty much all you need to see. You know, Corwin, I think these cops might not be the best. <laughs> well, they are NYPD, so you know they're not the best. But but isn't their nickname America's Finest? Surely nicknames wouldn't lie to us. You know what? You got me there again. I mean, America's team it's is the Cowboys, You cannot right? lie on those kinds of things. The Cowboys are America's team, right? Yeah. That's it. America's star. Case closed. Um, I guess, uh, oh, what do you think of John Cazale in this movie? This is a very... If you mean you, Fredo? I mean, I mean, I mean Fredo. Uh, slash the guy from the conversation slash the guy from the deer hunter. Um, this is by far his quietest role, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's his whole character is just, you know, this guy so freaked out and paralyzed by fear um, that he is just like sitting there in silent contemplation for the entirety of the movie. So actually, that's interesting. Did you think he was he was afraid or did you take his stoicism as like a, like a type like a type of confidence no i thought it was fear um pretty much the entire time and there were times you know like when they're sitting around talking and 
like when they're talking about smoking and things like that, where he reaches a point where you know, he's able to, to, you know, break out of that stoicism and and express himself. But I, I in no way would consider his character. I think a little bit is because the guy's meant to be a little slow, not quite all there, uh, at least not sharp. Um, and that just kind of leads to the kind of the kind of guy we see, I guess. I I don't know. I because I, I I definitely see the fear to to a certain extent, but he also is like so ah, he's he's so willing to do what it whatever it takes. Um. Yeah, I don't. But I think like I, so like I think the part you're talking about is like when he's like I'm ready to kill them all right here like right now stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, stuff like that, right? Um, I think that specifically was one of those things where it's like he's so scared he just wants to to kind of force himself into like this self-induced hero role and it's like all right, this is it. We're gonna do this. Like let's start this action. Blah blah blah. And, Granted, wouldn't have actually ended that way, and that would have been a, a pretty god awful way to handle that. Um, I, I think that was specifically fear induced. I, I, you know, I think there's a little bit of everything in there. I think there's definitely a, yeah. a healthy dose of fear. I think there's also a healthy dose of the fact that this guy's kind of an idiot, and I think there is a little bit of him thinking he's like doing right by himself or is motivated by the right things, whatever that last thing is like, he is just in being here and doing all of this. Um, Cause the stupidity has to factor in no matter what. I mean, he's otherwise he wouldn't be there. Wyoming is a state, which is an improvised line, which is hilarious. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. That was an, imp- which really, it speaks volumes to Al Pacino holding it together. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Wyoming's not a. St- I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll yeah. Take care. <laughs> um, yeah, he was wonderful. Um, and I think that just really speaks to how good of a, a actor John Cazale is because he, he plays this similar kind of character, a similar role in almost every one of the, well, in all of his films. But the small complexities that he's able to add and just twist into it. Uh, it just adds like these small layers that add so much to the overall performance. Um, uh, yeah. Very plus what else, what also helps is um, John Cazal came up in the stage with Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only did John Cazal work with Al Pacino in both of the Godfather movies, uh, John Cazale and Al Pacino were like broke theater actors. Like I think they lived together um, in in the late '60s, and so they play off of each other perfectly. Which I think you really see in this movie more so than in either of the Godfathers, just be- just because they share so much screen time together. Um, um, yeah, they aren't meant to fucking hate each other. Oh yeah, that too. Um, but like, you know. John Cazale is loud and angry when he needs to be, and it always, it never truly coincides with when um, 
Al Pacino is, at least not in the same direction. And in order to match the frenetic energy of Al Pacino, John Cazale spends a lot of this movie very subdued, very in the background, but um, having that the 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 all the little things and 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 the the small contributions he makes in dialogue or in the action uh in between um or, or in, in the action when he actually has to like do something relevant to the story he he really mm-hmm. showcases which is tough it's tough to find that type of background actor because it's usually someone in a different movie that would be that would be played by someone you've never heard of being you know acting next to an Al Pacino type um, who you regret looking at every time he's on screen because he is horridly unbelievable in everything he does. And instead, it's John Cazale, who's a phenomenal actor. Right. Um, oh, man. I wish he was in more. Truly. And the irony of the fact that they're having a conversation about smoking and John Cazale's talking about how his body's a temple and then he dies of lung cancer three years later. Um, life was truly... Cancer? Huh? What'd you say? Lung cancer from smoking, or is it just one of those genetic? Oh, oh yeah, no, yeah, no. John Cazale was a huge smoker. Yeah. Uh I guess. Uh, I know, in... but, you know. Yeah, well, him and I were good friends back in the sixties. Um, and in terms of plot, we did a lot about character. Um, it, it is the story of this bank robbery that's really it uh, it goes through a lot of twists and turns you know there's a lot of new pieces of information but it is very much so single set for the vast majority of it uh in that it is that one um those two buildings across the street from each other and, and the street in between and a couple of scenes outside of there but that's really it um, we 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 talked a lot about a lot of the twists and turns it took in regards to the characters that motivated them or that formed them or that were there to be a part of them. But actual plot wise, it's it's really quite linear, um, mm-hmm. which again is what makes it so much. In, I think in my eyes, and I, I think you would agree, is what makes this such a phenomenal movie in that it did so much with a very linear story. And I think the biggest impact, you know, about that for me came in the fact that by all means, the first hour of this movie is a straight up comedy. Like the way, you know, John Cazale, Al Pacino, like how brutally awful they are at actually robbing banks. It's hilarious. And just the, the statements that they're making, the statements that everyone's making and reactions to what they're doing and um, the playing off of all of these different characters. It's a comedy. You know, there's no avoiding that. And then as soon as Leon gets brought into the picture, it turns into this very heavy-hearted, you know, quick transitional twist into being this dramatic piece. And I think the transition is handled beautifully. With you know the long exposition by Leon, um, and you watch a reaction, you know, of Al Pacino, you know, to how he's taking all of that in, knowing that Leon's now there, and um, you know he wants to talk to him all that, and it the rest of the movie plays out like a dramatic 
I don't want to say dramatic drama, but a dramatic film. And I I can't think of any other movies, any other films that do that and do it so well. Um, nothing that's jumping to mind. I'm sure we've talked about other other films on here before that do something similar, but it doesn't. It doesn't matter. This, oh, you're right. It and uh, that's one of the things. It, it you know, and that's a part of it we haven't even really talked to. You make such a great fucking point here, which is that there's a chaos. There's a chaos to the beginning that that brings in the stress there's there's a drama to the beginning because there's stakes but yeah there is there is straight up comedy at the beginning that is shit al pacino is on the streets of brooklyn throwing money at strangers <laughs> that is a real scene there's like, just like so many little things where it's like you know all of the interactions between the bank robbers and the tellers and like the women working at the bank it's like they're not even taking them seriously and it's fucking no. hilarious yeah al, al pacino is teaching one of the women how to do um i forget what you call it when 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 you're in the military and you start dancing with your gun but whatever that is where you, you kick it and you flip it around and, and you make your dad proud like it's <laughs> it's hilarious it's so lighthearted for what's happening and like he's dipping out bathroom breaks. That scene just I was point that that was fucking funny as hell. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Um, yeah. And 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 just the one the one cashier giving him shit. Yeah, what do you want? You think he came in here with a plan? Look at him. He doesn't have a plan. Yeah. Oh yeah. Roasting the shit out of him. by the employees of the bank you're trying to rob. Armed, he has a gun, and she is giving him shit. <laughs> <laughs> He has oh, a gun, man. and like, he's calling him an idiot. Or like when he picks up the phone, you know, and he's expecting the police and ends up being one of the boyfriends or the husbands of one of the bank tellers. And then another phone rings, and he picks it up, and he's like, all right, WBBR, we play all the hits. What's <laughs> up? This is also the, the first instance I can ever think of someone going, um, kiss me. What? Kiss me. I like to be kissed when I get fucked. Like, yeah. which is also... A, a very common line you hear all over the place now. Something, something to that effect, um, and and that. Oh my god, the the gall of this guy! <laughs> right. Yeah. So like a New York City police officer asking him to like be be kind. Take him out to dinner before you go. But, um, oh, it's so funny. Just like a, a couple other really good sunny moments when uh, you know they're asking, "Hey, give us give us one hostage," and he's like. All right, we should send Hank, right? Like, we should send Howard, like, the... the. I wrote Hank down in my notes. That's why I keep saying Hank. But, like, we should send out Howard, right? Like, the sick one, and they're all just like, yes! <laughs> Clearly the man having an asthma attack. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. You're just making sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he gets, like, pizzas delivered. He, like, assumes he's paying for the pizzas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like... You're holding people hostages. Hostage. The New York City Police Department orders pizza for you, and you're like, oh, shit, is this me? Uh, no, I got this. Don't worry, I got it. I got it. It's like, what? 
Like he doesn't uh, understand the leverage that he has. And yet he also does. Yeah. It's just so back and forth with stuff like that. I know. Um that's just so funny. Uh I have one final note. Um I don't know okay. how close you are to wrapping up. I'm pretty much there. Um all right, so this final note. I could not think of a more stressful possibility occurring while you're robbing a bank and holding nine hostages than your mother showing up outside telling you how she's worked it all out, you're going to get off scot-free, and then digging into you about how much of a fuck-up you are. Like, think of how stressful that situation was from the get-go, and then imagine your mom showing up outside and just going off on you. Yeah, telling uh, tell you how, how, oh, you were so pretty when you were a kid. You're such a good-looking kid. You got such promise. Your dad's really mad. Hey, Sonny, stop robbing the bank. Your dad's pissed. Oh, gee, thanks, Mom. All right, officer. I'm ready to turn myself in. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Let's go. We're done here. There's nothing for me left on this planet. Um, some some follow-up to the movie in case you, 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 you were curious about it. Um, you watched it and you didn't look anything up. So so Sonny ends up going to jail. Um, he, get, he gets sentenced to, to uh, 20 years in uh, Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary. He serves five. So he actually ends up getting out uh, in 1978, just three years after this movie came out. Um, he gets arrested a couple more times for parole violations. Um, he ended up being released for the last time in 1987. Um, and I, I think he's kind of like lived his life after that in um, just being poor because not only is he now um, a gay man living in Brooklyn at a very hard time for gay people and a very hard time for Brooklyn. He's also now a felon and good luck getting a job with all of that going on. Um, Just get a nice union job. Yeah, right. Just join a union. Um, Leon in, in, in this, in this film, um, uh, his actual name was, um, I can't find it. I just had it. Damn, I can't Is think he of it. Is he professional? He uh, certainly uh, uh, tried to be. But uh, he ended up be getting uh, gender assignment surgery. Um, she, Elizabeth Eden, lived um, at, got, got her sexual assignment reassignment surgery uh, and re- got to live out um, her inner self's reality. But uh, uh, until 1987, when she unfortunately passed due to the AIDS epidemic, uh, which mm. also obviously untouched in this film because it wasn't a thing when this film came out, but also became a huge part of the communities most affected in this film, or at least most shown and represented in this film, uh, these epidemic. But, but as, on a positive note, Elizabeth Eden, um, whatever her name was prior, that is what you see as the Leon character. Uh, did end up getting her sexual her, her sex reassignment surgery and what I would assume was a legal fashion. So that is at least a happy ending for Elizabeth. Kind yeah. kind of. Except for the AIDS. They do say that at the end of the movie. It's part of the credits. They do? Yeah. 
I I missed that completely. Yeah. Oh, like well, literally yeah. everything you just said was was in the credits. Not not really? all of it. They don't go into like the parole stuff and things like that. But they're like, yeah, like he went to prison, served five years. How is that possible when the movie came out three years before he, he, I guess they must have updated it. No, that's on me. Well, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know the whole scope of it, but like they, he got sentenced to whatever. I, I did not pay enough attention to be able to quote it while talking about it now, but they do discuss that stuff at the end of the movie. Fair enough. All right. Give me a, give me a rating and review here. Oh no, he said my movie. I go first. Um, uh, Man, this is a five out of five. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll it, I'll, it, I'll be right there with you. Like, I'm giving it a five too. Like, this movie's perfect. It like, it really is. There's no weak points here. I I mean, it it gets right into what what's happening, which in a movie like this you want. Um, I don't want to know anything about these characters beforehand. I want to see a bank heist because I'm watching this movie because a bank because of a bank heist, and then it never lets that get boring and and. Right when you think it might start getting boring with all these standoffs in the street and all the yelling, boom, all of a sudden we're taking twists and turns. All of a sudden there's, there's a man who, who, who is being referred to as a woman and you, you, you learn about uh, the, the trans community right away. And, and it's, it, 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 we go down a whole rabbit hole with his mother. We go down a whole rabbit hole with the um, getting the uh, fucking uh, bus to go to the airport and I mean, it, it, it really it really holds your attention the entire way through, in addition to holding its energy and getting just some really great acting performances out of everybody in this movie. I mean, Chris Sarandon was awesome. Um, Al Pacino was awesome. John Cazale was awesome. Um, the guy Who's who plays Moretti. Huh? Who was Chris Sarandon? Leon. Oh, okay, okay. Chris Sarandon, uh, husband of Susan Sarandon, um, not related by blood related by marriage although susan sarandon and chris sarandon i think got divorced like super early um, i thought leon was gay uh uh leon was gay elizabeth was straight chris was also straight <laughs> those are all those people um yeah anyway it doesn't matter um it's just it's just it's just so well done there, there really is as i've said for for several times before um for what this movie wants to be, it could not have done anything else further. It is, it, is the, it is the exact peak of what this movie is trying to do. It lacks in no areas of where, where it wants to be, um, which in my mind is what makes a good movie a good movie. So That statement I, I agree with a thousand percent. For what this movie is, for what it was trying to be, and what it needed to be, it was perfect. It could not have been done any better. and. You know, the character development, the character relationships, um, this as a character piece, perfect. Um, definitely one of Al Pacino's best roles. Uh, definitely one of John Cazale's top five roles, but, you know, definitely up there's a, a really great, just everything done with this is is perfect. Again, five out of five. Um. All right, then let's give uh, let's give next week's picks. Do you have anything? Do you want to start? Or do you want me to start? Please start and take however long you need. All right. Well, uh, because uh, I forget if we talked about this right before we got off air yesterday, last week, or right after we got off air. But Corwin has never seen 2001: A Space Odyssey, Ooh. and so I'm going to pick 2001: A Space Odyssey 
as it is one of Stanley Kubrick's best films. It is one of my favorite Stanley Kubrick films. And I think it's got, there is a lot of meat on that bone to talk about. And I'm really interested in seeing what you take away from it since it's a very show, not tell film. Um, when there is quite a bit of telling that may or may not have needed to happen. <laughs> so, um, but luckily you've experienced the Holy mountain. So you should be a pro at, at symbolism. So, oh but yeah, absolute classic. Uh, be ready for length. This is a long film. Um, but, uh, 2001, a yeah, it is. It is a space odyssey. That's my pick. Um, I will ask you, have you seen, um, of the Chicago Seven yet? Oh no, I haven't. All right, then that'll be my pick. Oh, that's awesome! That's the that's the new Netflix Sasha Baron Cohen movie, right? Yeah the the new Sasha Baron Cohen movie that everyone's been talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. The one the one where he fucks Rudy Giuliani in the ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rudy yeah, Giuliani yeah. is the Chicago Seven because you know it's about the seven times yeah. he 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 fucks Rudy Giuliani. Yes, correct. At the four at the four seasons total landscaping in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, people need to talk about that more. I can't stop thinking about it. My friends are getting mad. My, my friends, my grandparents, my grandparents are my friends, but they're getting. I was with them today, and they were like, "You clearly love this story," and I was like, "We should all love this story." Um, this this should be front times of the New York, like <laughs> front page of the New York Times. Wow. <laughs> Front times of the New York page. <laughs> I just wanna never talk again. I uh, know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, all oh, right. Yeah, well, like, uh, whatever happened to uh, fuck, I'm forgetting his name. Um, space guy. Space guy. Um, oh Harry. David Bowie. Harry Red. I can't even fucking remember. The guy who talked with Microsoft Stan in the wheelchair, the astrophysicist. Oh, 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 um, Stephen Hawking? Yes, thank you. Whatever happened to his chair, because I need to use that thing and just talk through that thing from now on. Um, I don't... I wasn't I don't even know. close to coming up with that name. What did you say, Harry something? Well, like, Harry, like, Redman played it in the movie. Oh, the yeah, movie. Eddie, Eddie like, Redmayne. Eddie Redmayne, okay. I forgot his name too. It was like I'm not recovering from this. I'm in a downward spiral here. Just a portmanteau of names. Yeah. Uh, 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 vowel. Buy a vowel, please. Uh. Oh man. Anyway. Uh. All right. So so we got the the 2020 Brant Spanking New pick of uh, the Chicago Seven that is on Netflix. Um, I'm going to go with. I'm not looking it up. 1968. I'm going to say. Um, space. Uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Ironic, because none of those things happened by 2001. <laughs> ah. um, Shout-outs to our, our LGBTQ plus community. We love you people, since we mentioned you guys a lot in the uh, in the show. Just want to spread some love. Uh, appreciate you. Um, and uh, that, I guess that's really it. So if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. And if you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at uh, juicing the big screen at gmail.com and until next Tuesday y'all have a good one bye what you